0: Good morning. It is good to be here uh, with you today and I'm glad that we have the opportunity to worship together this morning. We appreciate all of your uh, prayers and thoughts and your kind words and things over the last couple of weeks. We're all doing perfectly fine and we are thankful to uh, be putting the last couple of weeks in the rearview mirror. I hope you have your Bibles open to Romans chapter 6. We're going to be studying a portion of this chapter today. I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about death. And the reason is that, of course, we hear a lot about death these days. In fact, I was thinking just the other day that um, at least once a day, I open up the KVU app on my phone And just before I start regretting doing that, I see something about the coronavirus death totals on the home screen. The interesting thing about it is that people die every day. They always have and they always will until the Lord returns. And yet in normal times, we go about our daily business, generally speaking, without giving death too much thought But now, death is thrown in our face like a giant billboard with blinking neon lights on the side of the highway at basically every moment of every day. We think about death more than we ever have before. And I want to suggest to you that this actually, in general, has not been a good thing. You know, people are constantly, and the reason is because people constantly being faced with the thought of death, I believe, has caused us to have a skewed view of life. The Bible tells us that life is like a vapor, doesn't it? James chapter 4 and verse 14, that it's here today and that it's gone tomorrow. But the Bible also tells us that the purpose of the life that God has given us is to do what? According to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. The purpose of the life that God has given us is to glorify God. In fact, in that context of James chapter 4, you remember that James will go on and talk about making plans for the next day, making plans for tomorrow. And he'll say, I'm paraphrasing of course, he'll say, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't say, tomorrow we will live and we'll do this and that and we'll buy and sell and get gain. But rather you should say, if the Lord wills, we'll do this and that and we'll buy and sell and get gain. And he goes on to say, to him that knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. What's the point of that passage? To him that knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. The point is that you have right now the moment, this time, this day that the Lord has given And so you have to use the time that you have in your possession right now to the glory of God and not put off doing good until tomorrow because tomorrow may never come. The reason why constantly thinking about death over the last several months has been counterproductive is because it has caused us to have a skewed view of life. Life is to be used to the glory of God. But I want to suggest to you that COVID has made us so afraid of death that we treat our lives like some possession that is to be hoarded and hidden away. It's like buying a new car, parking it in the garage, going out into the garage every day and polishing and washing the new car, but never actually taking the car out of the garage to drive it. Death and fear of death can cause us to hide our lives away in our homes because we're so afraid that something might happen to us. Now our fear of death has ruined our view of life. So this morning I want, us to, I want to challenge our view of life and I want to challenge our view of death. And here are the three things that I want us to recognize. I want us to recognize, number one, that our life is not actually ours at all. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19 says, you have been bought with, says, Do you not know that you are not your own, that you have been bought with a price? Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Listen to this last part, which are God's. Life is not actually ours, it's God's. Number two, I want us to recognize that in order for us to truly live, remember Jesus said, I came to give life and uh, give life more abundantly. And the Christian life is an abundant life, is it not? It is the greatest life that anyone could ever imagine. But in order for us to truly live and enjoy life, we have to die. Because our purpose in life is to serve and glorify God, not to serve ourselves, and here is the important point. If my life belongs to God and not me, then it is not right for me to keep from God what is rightfully His. I want us to recognize, number three, that when we live for the Lord as we should, then death is not something to be feared at all. So we shouldn't worry about it. Now let's look at Romans chapter 6. And we're going to look at the first 14 verses of this chapter, Romans chapter 6. This chapter begins with a question about life. Romans 6 verse 1, probably you can quote it or at least quote the gist of it. Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Let's talk about this for a moment. This is a question, but it is a question about life. The question of Romans 6, verse 1 is fundamentally this How should I live my life? Or maybe say it this way What should define my life? Should it be sin? That's the question. Shall we continue living in sin? in order that grace may abound. There's irony in the question, of course, because what Paul has proven already in the verses leading up to this is that sin already was in abundance. He proved that beginning in chapter 1, verse 18, and extending all the way through chapter 3 and verse 20, and then he revisited it again in chapter 5. He says sin is the Gentiles' problem, it's the Jews' problem, it's everybody's problem, and he says that sin has brought death into this world. Spiritual death and physical death and suffering and all of the terrible things that come along with it are already in abundance. Romans 5 and verse number 20. But, uh, excuse me, 5 and verse number 12. But God provided the answer to it. Because in Romans 5 and verse 20, the apostle Paul said where sin abounded... Grace did much more abound. That little phrase, much more abound, is interesting. Literally, the idea is like something like super abounded. And if you dug into the original language, the word is really the idea of a superhero. The idea is that while sin was in abundance, grace was like a superhero and it super abounded. It towered far and above sin and any effect or anything that it had ever done. So, in Romans 5 and verse 2, then, Paul said, We stand having gained access into this grace. Sin abounded, grace superabounded, and we rejoice because we stand having gained access into the grace that superabounds. What's the grace that superabounds? It's the ability to be right with God on His terms. That's it. The grace that superabounds is the ability to be right with God on God's terms. And Paul says, we rejoice because we stand in that way. And so now in Romans 6, verse 1, the question that is built upon all of that is all right, if sin abounded and grace superabounded and we rejoice having the ability to stand right with God, does that mean that we should continue to sin? Because the more we sin, the more grace will come as a result. The question is absurd just on the face. And yet, that's an objection that the Apostle Paul, by inspiration, saw fit to answer. And if you think about it, it's still an objection that probably needs to be asked and answered even today. Because even if, even if it is subconsciously, I would argue that it is true that if we claim our life for our own and we pay no mind to God and His will for our lives, then basically, We're living to fulfill our own pleasures, and at least even if subconsciously our actions are saying, I know God is going to be gracious, I'm going to live how I want, I'm going to do what I want, and I'm not going to worry about it because, after all, God is gracious. That's very prevalent denominational thinking. The idea in the religious world that we're saved and so it doesn't matter. Don't worry about how you live. Don't think about being obedient. Don't don't worry about all of this sin talk. None of that matters because there's God's grace. That's a false view of grace. That's like viewing grace as a fire blanket. We can just keep sinning and lighting the fire and God will throw the blanket on top of it and extinguish the flames. But the truth is that grace is not a covering. Grace provides the covering. Titus chapter 2 verses 10 to 12. We know that the the grace of our Lord that brings salvation has appeared to every man, Paul says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. Grace is not a covering. Grace provides the covering. The covering is the blood of Jesus Christ. Now this question in Romans 6 verse 1 is a question about life. How should we live We have this life. What should we do with it? Should it be defined by sin or should it be defined by something else? Now look at verse 2. Here is the answer. But ironically, the answer to the question of life in verse 1 is death. Look at verse 2. Certainly not, Paul says, God forbid, How shall we who died to sin live any longer therein? The question in verse 1 is, should sin define our lives? And the answer in verse 2 is no, because you're dead. Notice he says in verse 2, we who have died to sin. It's past tense. Grammatically, he's looking backward pointing to a specific event in the life of each one of these Christians. You shouldn't live for sin because you've died to it. When did you die to it? As he'll go on and tell us in the next couple of verses, we die to sin when we we are converted to Christ. He talks about baptism, being buried with Christ in baptism. He's talking about becoming a Christian. And the point that he's making is that sin and the Christian, they don't go together. They have nothing to do with each other. And the reason is because when a person decides to become a Christian, then they die to sin. And the old man who has a connection to sin, that man dies too. Put your bookmark in Romans 6 for a moment and look at the commentary on this passage in Colossians chapter 2. Uh, verse 11 and 12. Listen to what Paul says, Colossians 2, verse 11 and 12. He says, In him, that is in Jesus Christ, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Now listen to this next statement. By putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. Focus in on that statement just for a moment. Putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. We're talking about spiritual circumcision. And uh, not going to push the language too far here. Use your imagination. But the image is that that body has been cut off. It's not, it's not yours anymore. The body of the sins of the flesh is like working outside in the heat in the middle of the summer all day long, coming home hot, sweaty, stinky, and filthy, taking off the dirty clothes, throwing them into the laundry basket, and walking away from them. Dirty clothes, that's the body of the sins of the flesh. And the Apostle Paul says in spiritual circumcision, you've cut that body off. You've taken those dirty clothes off. And you've put them to the side. They're dead to you. How did you do it? He says, we're buried with him by baptism, verse 12, in which you are also raised with him through the faith and the working of God who raised him from the dead. The way that the body of the sins of the flesh is done away is through baptism. And then look what he says in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 3. You remember from last Bible class quarter that Colossians 3 and 4 is the practical application built upon Colossians 1 and 2. And Paul says in Colossians 3, if you were then raised with Christ, that's talking about baptism in Colossians two eleven and 12. If that's you, if that describes you, Then seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your affection, verse 2, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth, for you die. Do you see it? Colossians 3 and verse 3. The reason why, the reason why you set your affection on things in heaven and not on things of the earth... The reason why your mindset is spiritual and heavenward and not fleshly and earthbound is because you're dead. You live because you died. How did you do it? Colossians 2, verse 11 and 12. You became a Christian. So in Galatians 2 and verse 20, Paul will say, listen to this, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet it is not I that lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We have this seeming irony in all these passages. Wouldn't you agree? We're alive, but we're dead. We died, but we live. Back to Romans chapter 6. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. That that shouldn't even be a question. And the reason is because if you're a Christian, that means you died to sin and everything connected with it. We sing a song sometimes, Buried with Christ, my blessed Redeemer. Dead to the old life of folly and sin, Satan may call the world, may entreat me, there is no voice that enters with it. That uh, enters within, dead to the world, to voices that call me, living anew, obedient but free. Being a Christian and really living for Christ involves dying. Now, look at the explanation Romans chapter 6, verses 3 to 14. We saw this in miniature in Colossians 2, verses 11 and 12, and then Colossians 3 and verse 3. Time is escaping us, so let's just hit the high points. Should you continue, how should you live your life? That's the question of verse 1. In sin? No. Why? Because verse 2 says you died to it. Now, how did we do that? Look at the process, verse 3 and 4. Not only that, but we also glory... Sorry, I'm reading chapter 5. Go back to chapter three as chapter 6. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. The process, ladies and gentlemen, is being immersed in water for the forgiveness of our sins. Paul is describing baptism in Romans 6, verse 3 and 4, which is an immersion in water. The Bible tells us in Galatians 3 and verse 27 that baptism is how we're added into Christ. And Colossians 2 and verse 12, a passage we looked at a moment ago, tells us the same thing. And notice that Paul describes baptism in Romans 6, verse 3 and 4 as a burial with Christ. Notice we were buried with him. It is a sense in which we cooperate. There is a sense of cooperation, fellowship, if you will, joint participation with Christ Jesus in baptism. He says that we are buried with him through baptism. And notice this, into death. What death? He'll tell you. Keep reading. He says, second, that in this baptism into death, the old man dies that the old man ceases to exist and that we arise to walk in newness of life. You see, baptism is essentially a reenactment of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As Jesus died and was buried in the tomb and rose on the third day, so a part of us dies and is buried and then a part of us rises. But there's a slight difference. The part that dies is the old man. He stays dead. He doesn't come up from the water. It's the new man who comes up from the water. That's what Paul means when he says we arise to walk in newness of life. And look at the results of this, verse 5 to 7. He says, number one, we are in the likeness of his resurrection. He says, for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we'll also be in the likeness of his resurrection. I want you to highlight this passage and I want you to look at the last part of the passage which is talking about something that's going to happen in the future. Shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, he says. And if you want to in your notes, you can write this. Logical future. It's a particular kind of future grammatically in the New Testament and it's not talking about the future that's going to happen way on you know, in time to come. In other words, he's not talking about the resurrection of the dead in this passage. He's talking about a logical future, something that's going to happen in the future that is based logically upon what's just happened in the past. When does the future begin? Right now. The future he's talking about began the moment that you came out of the water of baptism and it will continue on until either the Lord returns or you die. That's the logical future. The point of verse 3 and 4 is that in baptism, our old man of sin dies. That's why we can't live into sin anymore, verse 1, because the old man died, verse 2, and he died, verse 3 and 4, when we were buried with Christ in baptism. And then the new man arose. So just as Christ rose from the dead, so we rose. And the idea is that we live for him, not for sin. He goes on and he tells us that the old man is destroyed. Look at verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with. Done away with. Abrogated. Annihilated. Put to death. Destroyed. So that we should no longer serve sin. That means we're free from it. So the result of our baptism is that we live for Christ, not for sin. The old man is destroyed and we are free from sin. Now look at the application, verse 8 to 14. The Apostle Paul says, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. You can draw a line right back to verse 5 in that logical future discussion again. Verse 5 through verse number 14, they all go together. And the point that the whole section is making is the reason why we cannot continue to live in sin, verse 1, is because you were baptized into Christ, excuse me, is because you died to sin, verse 2, and you died to sin when you were baptized into Christ, verse 3 and 4, and the result of being baptized into Christ is that you are dead to sin but alive unto the Lord, you see, that's the argumentation. He says, now, if we died with him, we believe that we'll live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, in the same way, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice the comparison. Paul says... Jesus died and he says he he died only once and he rose to die no more but to live for the glory of God. In the same way, we die and we rise to live for the glory of God. He says sin does not have complete control over us. Notice verse verse number 12. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. The word reign has to do with like being a ruler or a dictator or a tyrant. He says don't let sin tyrannically rule over you anymore. And then he says in verse 13 and 14, you don't use your bodies to serve sin, but you use them to serve righteousness. Don't present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves as to God, being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Notice how Paul is talking about things that are to be done right now, today, and onward into the future. Again, the logical future. The question that the chapter began with is a question about life and how it should be lived. Should it be lived in sin? No, 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 not at all. Why? Because you died to sin. How'd you die to sin? When you were baptized into Christ. And the results of being baptized into Christ is that sin isn't your master. The Lord is your master. But also the results of being baptized into Christ is that your life is not your own. Your life belongs to God. And so therefore you live every moment of every day from now on into the future to his service and to his glory. You don't use your body, your members, your hands, your feet, your mouth, your ears, your mind for unrighteousness, but rather you use them for righteousness. There's a whole lot more that needs to be said about these verses, but let's bring this to a a conclusion now. Romans chapter 6 verses 1 to 14 teaches us that we must die in order to live. It teaches us that we must die to self and that we must die to sin and that we must die to Satan so that we may completely and utterly live our lives to the service of God. And I want to make this suggestion to you going back to how we started the lesson. Remember, people throughout our world have been thinking about death nonstop. And our nonstop thinking about death has skewed our vision of life. We're so afraid to die that we're not living. Listen, when we understand what life is all about, it completely changes the way that we view it. I want you to look at some passages with me. Listen closely to what these passages say about life and death. Try to put yourself in the shoes of the one who's writing it or saying it and ask, how could they think this way? Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. For me to actually, Philippians chapter 1, let's start with verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I will be a shame, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. A lot of people, if they wrote that passage today, they would say, for me to live is Christ and to die scares me to death. But Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. What? Having a desire to die, that's what he's saying, and go and be with the Lord is better. Nevertheless, to remain for in the flesh is more needful for you. Now listen to Acts chapter 20 and verse 24. Acts chapter 20 and verse 24. This is the apostle Paul again. And Paul is exhorting the Ephesian elders before he departs from them on his way to Jerusalem. He's been told that he's going to be persecuted. And listen to what he says. He says, beginning in verse number 22, And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Listen to this. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. That's interesting. How did Paul view life? Well, in his own words, he says, I do not count my life dear to myself. Why do you suppose Paul could say, I do not count my life dear to myself? Why do you suppose Paul could say, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain? Because Paul understood Romans chapter 6. Paul knew what life was all about. Paul knew that when you become a Christian, you die to yourself and you die to sin and you die to Satan and that every moment that the Lord gives you to draw breath in this world is a gift. We are stewards of our life. A steward is someone who is entrusted with something that isn't theirs. And that means that it has to be used responsibly. Listen, the Apostle Paul was not careless I'm not suggesting that anyone should ever be careless with their life. Put your seatbelt on when you drive in your car. Drive the speed limit. If I invite you to come over to my house for a Bible study, don't come over if you're sick. This is common sense stuff. We live in this polarized society that acts like you can't do two things at the same time. But the truth of the matter is that you can live your life and be careful. Be careful. Don't tell the politicians that. It'll ruin their narrative. But that's true. The Apostle Paul was not reckless. None of us should be reckless. We should be good stewards with the life that God has given us. But yet Paul knew what life was really all about. And it wasn't for him. It was for God and for his glory. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 8, the Apostle Paul says we have a desire to, To be clothed. He's talking about the spiritual body. That comes when we die. 1 John 3 and verse 16. You ought to lay your life down for the brethren. Would you lay your life down for me? Would I for you? Revelation 14, 13 says, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Henceforth, says the Spirit, they will have rest from their labor. Brothers and sisters, the conclusion of all of this is simple, and here it is. If you are a Christian, you should not be afraid to die. Now, I understand how difficult that is. I'm 32 years old. You start talking to me about death, and I start thinking about my wife and my children. And I start thinking about what it would be like for my children to have to endure the death of their father at a young age. Or for my wife to have to be a widow at a young age. I think about this stuff all the time. Think about it too much. It messes me up mentally. Because when you get scared of death, when fear of death overwhelms you, it messes up your view of life. Don't be careless. Don't be stupid but don't be scared either. The Bible teaches us that life is a gift, that every moment that God gives us is a gift and that we're stewards of it and that it has to be used to his glory. My life is not a car to be bought and to be hidden in the garage, to be fawned over and polished and thought about every moment of every day. It is not something that is to be hoarded or hidden away because I am afraid of what may or may not happen. That's not what life is about. Life is about serving God. And when we understand that, when we and it's a struggle. I, don't get me wrong, it's a funny thing about being a preacher. You read the Bible, you study it, I know you know what the Bible says and you can proclaim it, but you have to chew on it and wrestle with it just like everybody else, believe me. This is a difficult concept. But I'm convinced that once we finally flip the switch in our minds and we really get it, we understand what the purpose of life is all about, then every time we open up our View News app and we see coronavirus death totals or every time some politician gets on TV and says, you're all going to die, don't leave your house. It's not going to worry us all that much anymore because we know the big picture, ladies and gentlemen. So let's quit worrying about dying and get on with living. You can't do that if you're not a Christian. So this morning, the Lord's invitation is offered. And it may be that there's someone here who has a desire to be a child of God. Remember, you have to die in order to live. You have to. You have to die to yourself. You have to die to sin. You have to die to Satan. You have to die to the world. You have to live unto God. And the way that we do that, ladies and gentlemen, is by obeying the gospel. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God, John 8 and verse 24. Repent of your sins, Luke 13 and verse 3. Confess your faith, Romans 10, verse 9 and 10. Be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, Acts 2 and verse 38. Romans chapter 6, as we looked at this morning. And if you do that, then God will add you to the church, Acts 2 and verse 47. You can live faithfully. Revelation 2 and 10, knowing that you're going to appreciate every moment God gives, you're going to be responsible with every moment that God gives you, but to the very best of your ability, you're going to live it to His glory. Not in fear, no no fear, but in faithful confidence. If you have need to respond to the invitation this morning, please come forward and do so while we stand and sing together.